Hey everybody, we're back. We're back. And you're excited about it. Yes, number 59. Rogue Table Talks. Hashtag 59 RTT. Uh, talking about it. Right, yeah, we have people are listening in their cars or at home in quarantine still, or maybe not. It's reopening. Maybe you're at a coffee shop. Yeah, yeah, could be. Could well be listening uh, on your your podcast-friendly uh, device, uh, phone, tablet, TV set, whatever you got. Uh, and uh, we are continuing uh, our um, talking about hope uh, generally. And uh, there are time, these are times we live in where hope is needed. Um, and we're going to talk about grief, grief and hope. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, because that's that's kind of where our um, uh, our passage is leading us uh, the, uh, this week, and I think um, there's a lot in our world in our lives to grieve. Um, and uh, what do you think about? As I was thinking about grief, uh, we've talked about this before. I think like what. Uh, some, what do we do instead of grief and so on? Um, but let me uh, let me kind of think about it as in a different way as well. So, you know, lamenting is part of grief. Uh, it's um, it's a grieving process. I think you know we don't always do it very well. Uh, we don't always um, we do things instead, but. What about lament and grief um, for others? Uh, you know, we're told to weep with those who weep. You know, grieving with those who are grieving. Um, I don't think I do that very well, uh, which is um, just something I've been reflecting on this week. Um, I, I don't. I don't know that I grieve my own stuff particularly well, although that's an area I'm trying to grow in to grieve, to weep with those who weep um, seems that there's a different flavor of it uh, for me um, that I'm, I'm, I'm grieving, but not just in the abstract of this is wrong, but I'm this, these actual people are actually weeping and I'm somehow joining with them that seems different to me uh and i just don't know that i do that a ton i don't know what are your thoughts on that um have you ever seen um i'm not exactly sure what they call it a, a funeral in eastern culture yeah 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 and right. you, you know you got family members and community members and neighbors gathering around you know, those who are close to the one who was lost and they're all weeping and grieving and on behalf and, and with, uh, yeah. And with, and I think it's a few things that work against us here. One would be just the individualistic uh, nature of Western existence of, you know, even the philosophers coming out, you know, I think therefore I am, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it's mostly a, a singular pronoun conversations, but I think so that that's part of it. We, it's hard to see ourselves connected in community. Like when you go to the store, 
you buy produce off the shelves. Um, you, it's often we don't think about everything it took for the farmer to get that into our hands, that we're a part of this, you know, ecosystem of community of humanity. And so I think that's true. It's difficult for us to enter into someone else's either joy or grief because of that. But then there's this other thing that I was thinking about this, uh, we've raised authenticity to almost, uh, such a high ethic, such a high virtue that, well, I don't feel bad on their behalf. So therefore I'm, I've got to be true to that and I'm not going to express anything. You know what I mean? As instead a, of, instead of, I maybe should feel bad. Yeah. Instead of, instead of thinking on behalf of them, we just think about my commitment is to my own authenticity and we don't mm. enter in. So just a couple of thoughts around that. I do think it's, yeah, I'm with you on that. It's hard for me to do that. Yeah. And I think that, um, with lament, I mean, there's, there's lament carries some, sometimes a level of anger. So this is all, you know, playing out in the, in the, um, in the context of the marches and rallies and protests, uh, that have played out over, uh, the, the deaths of, uh, numerous, uh, African-Americans at the hand of police. Um, and so there is an element of lament with that, but it, there, there's, uh, you know, there was a march and a rally that marched down Midrivers Mall Drive. As the rally was at Calvary Church um, that I took part in, and a lot of people, you know, people marched, people uh, spoke, students spoke. It was really about the school district and teachers and students. Um, and there's a lament aspect. Uh, and there's a grief aspect. I think the people directly, so the students of color who shared, they were share, they were, they were weeping as well as lamenting, uh, cause they were sharing their own grief. Um, I think for a lot of others, you know, and you know, there, there are parents who have, you know, adopted black children. There's an element there where it's touching them directly and the grief seems real. I think for the, a lot of the rest of us, there might be lament. And sometimes I think, I mean, what we can do instead of grieving and weeping is to be angry, which is not, it's not bad to be angry or to take action uh, or to protest or to march. And I think that's one aspect, but I think that's what we might tend to do instead of weeping. Mm-hmm grieving with the people who are in like to enter into their pain might be something we do. And then we go into this action phase and I don't, I'm not, I think the action phase is good, but I think sometimes it's almost a defense mechanism, mm-hmm. you know, against just feeling that grief, weeping with those who weep. But I was just sort of contemplating that in the middle of the March uh, because there were people really coming from all different places there and some of them more angry and some of them, uh, you know, all sorts of different emotions, uh, I think, uh, but to sort of enter into the weeping of another person is difficult to enter into the weeping of another person, a person of color whose experience is pretty different. That's even harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, 
necessary in a way that I need to think about, like, why is that difficult? How do I do that? Um, so that's kind of what I've been what, thinking about grief and lament. That's sort of kind of what I've been puzzling through. I think another um, way to say it um, is, can am I able to empathize with the struggle of another person or with the pain of another person? And it's, it's fascinating. I think, you know, you talked about defense mechanisms. Um, and I think one of those is we want to refer, we, we, we want to reframe mm-hmm. and some, you know, it's someone gives us something, Hey, this is really hard for me or, yeah, we've been struggling uh, in our parenting or in our marriage or in my work. And often what happens is we want to take this, it's uncomfortable and we want to repackage it and then give it back to them and say, well, but don't you enjoy what you do? Or, you know, isn't, you should just focus on the positive or something like that. And I think we can constantly do that without knowing it. And in fact, if you watch, if you watch people with little kids, it happens all the time because little kids come up and they, they draw my ice cream cone and it makes them really sad, you know, and there's, there's all different ways of reframing that so that, that we, you know, we don't, mm-hmm. it's, it's our discomfort, not the person's discomfort, right? Yeah. They're sad and that's okay. Right. And yeah. can I empathize with their pain or loss or something else? Yeah, I think that's right. I do think we talked about that as a, as a staff, we've sort of, you know, we talked about this issue and share di- different people sharing different perspectives. Uh, and I do think that's right. We want to, uh, one of the things we want to do with it is, is sort of explain it, uh, and have facts around it. Um, which explaining is fine and facts are fine, obviously, but instead of, you know, it's like you're, you know, the, the, the child who drops the ice cream, <clears throat> you know, you, you know, then you start explaining how gravity works and, you know, entropy and it's, we live in a broken world. It was, okay. All of that might be true, but it's totally inappropriate and irrelevant to the situation. Sure. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's what we want to do. We want to, okay, well, I can understand why bad things happen in the world and, theologically. And, um, you know, really this is another way to look at it. So yeah, we want to reframe it for our own self. Um, and somebody who is, uh, somebody uh, on staff who was sharing, um, was talking about, you know, they, uh, are raising, uh, black children. They've uh, adopted black children and, and sharing that, you know, going, uh, she said, you know, I went to court, you know, this whole process of, you know, adopting and fostering, there's a lot of court. So like she would go to court and it would be, but whenever she went to court with her, the black child, she would get searched. Uh, and whenever she went by herself, she would never get searched. Hmm. And then, so the child's a little, and, and that was, so it's, it's, we would think, okay, we hear that story and we think, well, okay. I mean, you get searched. What's the big deal? Um, but it's a lifetime of being treated differently from the time you're a child all the way up to the time you're an adult yeah. where it, it conditions you in such a way. And so we want to say, okay, well, whatever, it's not that big a deal. It doesn't hurt anybody. Like we're reframing it for ourselves. We're not even talking to the person who's it's all interior because we don't want to feel like it's that big of a, you know, it's, it's fine. Uh, or we'll say, well, things are definitely a lot better, which is true. 
it is true. Things are better in some ways. I mean, we're slavery is over. Jim Crow is over. So things are better. Uh, but racism hasn't gone away. The impacts are still damaging. Um, and can I not try to explain or reframe for my own self or anybody else? Can I just say, yeah, that's something that we ought to weep and lament for its own sake. You know, I just think that's difficult for us. Yeah. Uh, let me introduce uh, uh, another part of this conversation, which I think is easy to go unnoticed and undetected because that's its main strategy. Um, it's easy for me to say, well, you just got searched. That's not a big deal because if I get searched at the airport, I don't ever think it's for you. It's not a big deal because I'm white. Mm -hmm. I don't ever think that, Right. but something that introduces into that person's um, psyche is shame. There must be something wrong with me that we would get searched when I show up. Like it's like, I'm the problem. And, and you can't really put a name on that because it's not, a verbal communication. It's just, it is what it is. And now there's something wrong, the child or the adult, you know, I get pulled over because I'm black. Um, or I get, we get searched when we go to court because of my black child. Um, then they internally, they start to, to process, um, well, it's my fault. What's wrong. What's wrong with me? So, you know, I read a book a while ago. I, I do recommend it's a really good book. Kurt Thompson. Um, it's called the soul of shame. He wrote a previous one that was required in seminary. I can't remember that one, um, but this one was really good. And um, I think that there's there's that conversation to be had in the realm of um, sociocultural dynamics um, and how sh- what shame does to a people group, what shame does to an ethnicity, not just an individual. Like, what is it like to be mm-hmm. a minority? Mm-hmm. And just experience all the biases. I don't know what that's like, but I imagine the shame is a large part of that experience. Right. Yeah. And that, yeah, we did talk about that, that if, if we woke up tomorrow and we were the minority and yet we'd had our whole lifetime of being the majority, it would be different for us to be the minority because it hadn't formed, it hasn't, we haven't had a lifetime of identity forming experiences where things like shame or anger or grief uh, are felt, uh, and there's a cumulative effect of that. Um, so I want to like, so grief and lament still wrestling with that. So in this, in this passage, first Thessalonians four, it's a, it, the grief that they're feeling is because people are dying. Uh, and you know, they, they had come to believe that, um, you know, they'd come to be, they become Christ followers. Christ is going to return. We're going to be, going to heaven and then it didn't happen right away. I mean, that was just, nope, that's not taught in the Bible. That was supposed to happen right away. Uh, but that was their expectation. People are dying and they're grieving and don't, they don't really know how to, how to process that. Um, so that's the context of the passage. So let me read it. It's first Thessalonians four, starting in verse 13, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 
According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Um, and so there is, you know, we, we, we want to put, we want you to give some context or understanding or, or a narrative around this grief so that you don't grieve as somebody who doesn't have hope. Um, so, you know, how do we, what is, where does hope and grief and lament, how do they all sort of intersect here? Um, and I think one of the things that, you know, the first thing he says is, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen. So those who have died. Uh, so there's, so resurrection, our hope is in resurrection, but resurrection implies death. Yeah. And I think somehow we want resurrection without death. Like, but, you know, he's saying death is part of it. Uh, don't be surprised by death. Uh, Jesus died. You know, that's part of the narrative. Now, for some people who are still alive when the Lord returns, they won't die. But that's obviously a tiny minority. For most of us, there is death. There is a broken world. There's the, you know, the fruit of, of brokenness, which is many things, racism, injustice, and death is one of those things. And, you know, he's not saying, hey, don't grieve, be happy. It's no big deal, but don't grieve as somebody who doesn't have hope uh, because there is a resurrection. Um, and so that's like, that's, I think, going into, you know, that entering that discussion where I think that's part of, you know, it's part of our culture, our psyche, our understanding that we can somehow have a resurrection without the death. We can have our cake and eat it any day too. That we can, like once we become Christ followers, we know theologically this is wrong, but nothing really bad's going to happen to us. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, basically things will be good from, and that I think then the resurrection somehow is <clears throat> diluted because we're skipping over the death part, right? Like we want to live as if we're already resurrected, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. And we're not already resurrected. We're reborn in Christ, but we're still, you know, we're still, we're going to die. Uh, and we're still subject to pain and we still should grieve and we still should lament just as somebody who knows the resurrection is coming. Um, I don't know. Just what do you think of that? Respond to that. Yeah, I, it's, I think that well, what, what's key phrase to me is that in verse 13, so that you do not grieve like the rest. So I, I think we can often read with our own lenses on and 
we think, you know, well, so that we don't grieve because, oh, there's, so there's resurrection. So therefore we don't grieve. And here's hope means I don't grieve and Christ means I don't grieve. Um, but you, you don't get that from any biblical example at all of people's lives uh, that are to be um, followed or Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus consistently grieved, even though, um, you know, no, no. yeah, he know he's he, going to rise again. He is the resurrection, right? He yeah, is the resurrection. Is, yeah. And um, so consistently mourned and, but to me, it's that grief like the rest. So there is a, and maybe it's people's fear of, of grief or fear that grief can lead to despair um, that they don't enter into that grief process because um, it's, it's, it's very, it's dark, it's shaky, it's uncertain. And when you enter into that, it's like a tunnel and you're not exactly sure how long you're going through the process or going through the tunnel. There's no mile marker sign. Um, so maybe people just avoid that altogether and then put a bumper sticker of resurrection, you know, on and say, Hey, we're, mm-hmm. we don't have to go through that. But mm-hmm. so it's like the rest of mankind, but there, but there is a grief that comes and it's interesting that he connects it to death. You know, death is the ultimate grief. Death is the ultimate you know, sin and death, the ultimate enemies of the shalom that God intended in the garden, um, that the soul is disconnected or severed from the body is an unthinkable thing from Genesis mm-hmm. 1 and 2, mm-hmm. right? right? And so there is a grief that is, okay, we, we all work, we all will sleep the sleep of death. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's all of those things in the mix of that uh, conversation keeping us from a proper grief maybe mm-hmm. a proper death of uh, a proper cruciform lifestyle entering into the suffering of the cross so that we can have true resurrection i always think that it's to the degree that you can enter into grief and the cross um and death is the degree that you will experience true authentic deep resurrection joy resurrection life in an existential, an existential way, not necessarily in a future eschatological way. Right. Now. Yeah. Now in our lives now. Yeah. Cause I think that there's a, there's a, there's a dance here that I think we need to learn um, that, you know, I'm just really in the early stages of, of contemplating um, because there's a, there's a way to approach this that says um, the world is broken. I'm broken. It won't really be fixed until the resurrection. So peace out. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just try to live, you know, try to worship and have joy and, follow the Lord and stay away from the bad stuff. Cause I can't really fix it. And, and I think there's something about us that if we can't fix it, like what's the point? And if we, and th- there's a certain sense in which I have to reconcile myself to and, and do this dance of it won't ultimately be fixed until the resurrection, but I am to work for the redemption of all things now uh, and that's what Christ would have us do. And so there's this, we're setting ourselves up for this 
life of working for restoration and knowing it, it won't, we won't be successful in our lifetime, mm-hmm. but that it matters. Uh, and that, uh, in some ways we'll be bearing fruit. We can't see. So it's really almost, we, I want to be able to fix it partly as we said before for me and to enter into something knowing ultimately I'm not going to be the one who fixes it. Ultimately, I'm not maybe going to see it fixed in my lifetime is really an act of faith and submission and humility that is very difficult for us because I do sense there's a, you know, I'll speak for the white community, even though I really can't, but often there's a sense that we put up our hands like, well, I don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and therefore not and therefore we do nothing. Right. Um, or we want to take action and, you know, this program that of this elect this person, um, as in, as if those things will actually, uh, you know, affect what the resurrection will affect. So I'm all for activism. Uh, that there's a sense of that. There's, so there's a sense of that, that might be right. There's a sense of the powerlessness. This is actually right. But somehow in the middle of those t- two things, I have to be faithful and fruitful while knowing ultimately I am powerless, but he is not. Mm-hmm. And so it's this, it's this labor in hope, knowing we're never going to, in our this lifetime, we're never going to see, we're never going to arrive. And that makes the labor more difficult for us because it's part of this big collective labor and we're so individualistic. I think that's part of what I'm trying to struggle with. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think there's, I, th- I think that's true. I think there's another, uh, you know, I ran into this person at Lowe's and he, he might've been a little off kilter. He was in the mm. service line and he was uh, trying to get something returned in his receipt and all of a sudden and then he just started going off on the workers that were wearing masks because they had masks on. He said, you know, I don't trust any of you guys. You look like bandits. <laughs> and then he held up a, held up a little a handgun, you know, with his finger and his thumb. Mm-hmm. You go, you all look like bandits and you always think a mask going to save the world and da, 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 da. And he said, get your heart right with God and everything will be fine. And to take his statement and apply to our comfort, yeah, it was, I was, I was dying. I had, I had to, he looked at me and I had to do everything I could not to, to smile and uh, uh, to take his statement and apply it to our conversation. I think one of the things that the church has done just in general is probably an oversimplification or a truncated uh, version of the gospel to say, well, it's too big out there. It's too messy. And you know what the real silver bullet is, is let's just evangelize. And if I just preach the gospel, you know, I'm just going to preach the gospel or whatever. That's going to solve, that's going to solve everything. So I can't actually, my activism is simply evangelism. Like they just need to get saved. Like everyone just needs to get saved. And so I can't get out there and actually like work towards this end. People just need to get their hearts right with God. And I don't, I can't make them do that. I don't know what to do. And so I think there's this, this fear from some conservative evangelicals about the social justice aspect of the gospel. So what we want to say is, well, it's, you know, evangelism is it. And once they get saved, then we can start to have actual reform. Here's the problem. It's not, not true. It's a half truth. 
there's truth in it because purified hearts lead to purified systems. Um, the problem is, is I think it often gets used as like a, well, therefore I, I don't have to really be involved in that. You know, I'll just stay in this kind of version of Christianity when I'm doing not necessarily work for social justice or because like you said, it seems too daunting. Like it won't actually happen. And so what's the point like this over here? I can, can kind of control. Yeah. So I think that's a good way of, of getting at it. I think that says it uh, well, that there is a sense in which, yeah, people do need to get their hearts right with God. That's and ultimately uh, what we want to see happen. We want to get our, you know, what does it mean for my heart to be right with God beyond simply accepting forgiveness and uh, accepting by God's grace forgiveness for my sin? Um, what does it mean? One of the things that means for me to get my heart, to have, keep my heart right with God is to care whether or not other people get sick or care whether or not other people are oppressed or hungry. Um, so there's a sense in which, yes, we have to get people's heart right with God, but if they don't have food and we get them their hearts right with God, they're still hungry. And a so it doesn't actually it doesn't actually solve all the other problems. It, that's it, a, a James reference, right? Right. That's what I was right. thinking too. True religion is caring for widows and orphans, and right. Say and, to somebody go and be be well fed, but they don't have any food. Right. And I think that's, so there's, there's part of it where there's a sense in which that's true, but there's a sense in which, well, it, it won't solve all their problems if they're in pain, they're still in pain. Uh, we have done something ultimate uh, in uh, helping them find salvation, uh, but uh, we haven't, we haven't, if they're hungry, they're still hungry. If they're sick, they're still sick. Uh, at the, and then at the same time, I think we now, especially now we live in a world in which if I'm not willing to feed the hungry, if I'm not willing to say that black lives matter, then I, I'm, I'm handicapped, I'm hampered. Like I've, <clears throat> I've eliminated a lot of the population is even listening to me when it comes to the gospel. They're not interested in my gospel if I'm, I'm willing to help with needs that are right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I get neither, you know, by saying we just need to help people get right hearts right with God and not worry about the other stuff. We're not helping people in their pain and we're not helping get their hearts hearts right with God because they they've rejected us as messengers. They look at us and say, well, if that means I'm just going to have Jesus and not care about other people, well, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's sort of the, um, again, there's a middle place here, that middle road that we have to try to, because I do think there's people who I'm going to dive into the social justice movement instead of helping people get their sure. hearts right with God. Sure. Yeah, totally. And just like you can say, I'm going to try to get people's hearts right with God instead of addressing issues of justice, where in the middle there, we need to try to do both because, you know, both, you know, is, is, uh, both involved is involved in the mission of the church and God's presence of the church. And I have, you know, I have an obligation to somehow walk a path of doing both. And so that's going to mean I have to recognize and grieve with and weep with people who are weeping because otherwise they're not going to care. I mean, if I'm going to share the gospel with you and you're hungry and you think I don't even care that you're hungry, you know, 
am I, am I listening to anything else you're saying? Um, because it seems like now I don't love you or I don't care about you. And then me getting your heart right with God is just something I'm doing for me as much as you. Yeah. I think that's the key is doing it just for me as much as you. I think if we're more aware of our motives, we probably would maybe consider the other more just because if I'm, if I'm actually aware that I'm trying to do ha, be a part of social justice or evangelism uh, f- for my own sake, because it makes me feel better because I think it, it gets me in a better status with God or all the other things that are probably at work in my heart, then I might actually be able to get out of my own mm-hmm. way and see the other as the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I think I'm, you know, virtuous and, you know, this is really, you know, about me, uh, then, then I will miss it. I think I did hear a story one time and th- these are these, you know, I went to a Bible college. I say that with a bit of a, uh, <laughs> tongue in cheek, you know, mm-hmm. a bit of a hesitancy. Uh, but it's, it's like the, it's like the, the people that just come out and they're overzealous and they're just filled with a bunch of good knowledge and they're going to save the world. And, and they go downtown, find a homeless person and, you know, you don't, and, and I hear stories and, you know, you don't need food. You need Jesus and things like that that are just completely oblivious to the other person's situation. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a, it's true, but it maybe it's an unfair caricature of, of much of what can happen. But I do think there's still some of those remnants of, well, you don't need a mask. You need Jesus. You don't need a mask. In the you don't need a mask. You need Jesus. And, and Jesus will protect you from the virus. I don't even know if he meant that, but what about the other? It's about mm-hmm. what about the other? And mm-hmm. I think Jesus never had a dichotomized view of evangelism and justice or, you know, preaching the gospel and living the gospel or caring for the other. It was always a, a both end mixture wedding and they served each other, but not in a manipulative, you know, I did this so that I could, you know, you know, bait and switch. Right. You know, right. 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 Yeah. It's interesting. I do think uh, we will, you know, there is a a polar nature to that and we're going to be pulled to one side or the other and just try to walk in this, this road. Um, And so then just kind of one final, I do think, you know, having, I don't know that I think about eternity uh, and the hope of eternity and the resurrection, the eternal resurrection, that I don't know that I, I think of that uh, in a way that's really as, you know, sort of productive as it, as it should be, that I should be encouraged by uh, the hope of heaven. And that the hope of heaven sort of informs that what, I, what we're doing now matters. And, it, you know, ultimately it will all be, you know, it'll all be fixed in, in, in heaven. And the, the, the hope of heaven gives meaning to the mission, uh, the working out of the mission of the church now uh, in a way that I think, uh, I don't, I think that, um, you know, in the Lord's prayer, we pray that kingdom come, they will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's sort of a, we're praying for something ultimate 
to happen and uh, be on the way to happening now and knowing it won't ultimately happen until uh, eternity. Uh, and I think there's a, there's a hope and a grief that go together there uh, that I have this hope. I have this grief that it's not yet. And I have this hope that it will be and the hope informs my life now. So the grief is not without hope, uh, but the hope is not without grief. And ultimately that dilemma gets fixed by, you know, in the next age. And that's sort of the dance of hope and grief together, which involves lament and it involves action. And it involves faith. It involves trusting that God is in control and uh, all of that stuff. And I think that's sort of the dance that we need to learn, the dance of hope uh, and the dance of grief that go together uh, in a way that's Christ-like and loving and works towards reconciliation and towards against the the brokenness of the world and yet with the ultimate uh, cure being in heaven and all that sort of put together in one stew. Uh, and that's sort of kind of what I've been trying to puzzle through. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it has to be connected and that's, that's where you don't grieve like the rest, but we do grieve with something an anchor into the future or a tow, a tow rope uh, that pulls us into the future that connects our present grief to future hope mm-hmm. that, that invades the present in such a way where it is a mixture of grief and hope. And I think it's a both and dance balance so that we are in tune with the real gravitas of sin and despair in the world, but not at the, uh, overshadowing of what Christ did on the cross and what that means for the future of the world. Mm-hmm. And like he said, that, hey, don't be uninformed. People who fall asleep in Christ will rise again. Mm-hmm. That's the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's a, that's maybe where we'll leave it, that uh, don't be uninformed or don't look away from the brokenness of the world. Grieve it. Uh, look at it in the eye, lament it, grieve it, uh, but not without hope. Uh, and knowing that our living out the kingdom in a way that uh, seeks to address injustice and seeks to bring the gospel seems at times futile. But that even that is not without hope because mm-hmm. one day there will be the resurrection. Yeah. Uh, and one day um, all of that is incomplete will be made complete. Um, so I don't know, maybe we should just leave you with that, with that thought that, uh, we are to grieve we're to be informed, know what's going on, look at life in the eye, grieve it, lament it, but respond in hope, respond in mission, grief and hope together. Um, and so that's, you know, our prayer this week during these times that we don't forget, don't, to, 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 to don't fail to look at it, to, to resist the urge to look away to grieve, to lament, to work, to pray, uh, and to do all that in hope. Uh, And with that, grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.